The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Welcome, everybody, to today's episode of Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. It is a stunningly beautiful day here in Massachusetts, where I'm sitting, uh, in sharp contrast to what we were looking at Oh, a few months ago when this show first started. Um, but today we have a lot of interesting things to talk about. And for starters, I'm wondering if any of you have ever heard the idea that the junior year is the most important of all when it comes to college admissions. In part three of our four-part series on what to be thinking about each year of high school, Kira Tyler is going to join us to tackle this very question and offer insight into what's most important to accomplish in this third year of high school. And I will share a hint that there is certainly more to do in the junior year than there has been in freshman and sophomore year. Uh, College finance expert Kathy Ruby is also going to be here to cover establishing a budget as a teenager, something that's going to come in handy in the transition to college and, quite honestly, in life after college. But before we get to either of those topics, we're really excited to welcome Becky Leichtling, who's a former Tufts admissions officer and my colleague here at College Coach, to show to the show to discuss majors and the college process, uh, including how the selection of a particular major can impact admissions and what majors really mean in terms of a student's ultimate career. Welcome, Becky. Hi, Beth. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. We're excited to have you back. And the, the thing that we're talking about today is something on a lot of people's minds for a lot of reasons. Uh, what you major in in college or if you're thinking about putting your child through college and helping to pay for it or funding it completely, what your child majors in is certainly an important choice. I think, however, that over time it's maybe become too important uh, in people's eyes. And so we have some programming that we do here at College Coach all about this very issue. And uh, you were instrumental in developing it. And that's why you're here today. So thanks so much for being here. Um, My very first question for you really is, how much weight do you think students should give to major when they're researching colleges? So that's a, that's a really common question. And Beth, as you said, that's kind of why we developed this program at College Coach to talk about this. I think the short answer is, a major is important. You want to like what you're studying, you want to be good at what you're studying, and you want that to uh, leverage you into something awesome after college. But I never encourage kids to pick a, ma- a college simply because of their major. And the reason for that is that most kids will switch their major in college. There's no yep. hard and fast stat on this, but I think you know, a rule of thumb that a lot of colleges refer to is that about two-thirds of students who graduate from their school came in as something different, either undecided or they came in bio and now they're leaving who knows what. 
So at the end of the day, you don't want to make an investment banking on the fact that you're going to exit as that particular major. So that's the short answer. I think, honestly, the long answer is there's so many outcomes of that college experience. The major is one of them, but it's not as important as a lot of families think. When it comes to getting a job or going to grad school, the major is not, it's not really one of the more important factors that folks are looking at. And when you're applying for a job out of college, um, Jobs are looking for your experiences. Are you ready to hit the ground running as an entry-level employer uh, employee in their company? And that's not something that they can confirm based on the classes you've taken. That's right. something that they can confirm based on what you do. Yep, absolutely. Um, and I, and just, I mean, one thing that I've noticed too is, so two-thirds are going to change their major. For some people, that might mean going from a bio major to a biochem major. And for mm-hmm. other people, it might mean going from a bio major to a philosophy major. And so it's, and I think one of the challenges is some kids are come in seemingly very decided and maybe make incremental changes. Whereas others, I often feel that a lot of teenagers in my office who are talking about what they want to major in really have no idea, but they've, they believe they need to say something. They need to have a focus. So they sort of create a focus for themselves and then they get to college and they really start to explore. And that's when that focus can really change because now they're getting actual experience in different classes and really starting to decide what they truly enjoy studying and doing. And I think what's unfair about that to the kids is that when you're in high school, you really only have five classes. You've got science, math, history, maybe a foreign language, and your English class. And so yep. when you're trying to think about cognitive science versus psychology versus um, you know, social economics, you don't even know what those things mean. So I think yep. exactly what you said, the kids who come in really focused on a specific major are probably underinformed about that. And I would hate for their really strong focus on that major to make it so they don't explore and they don't figure out what college has to offer because they're so focused. Right. And I also think that there can be a lot of pressure to know what you're going to do before you go to college and to... You know, I have parents who, well, can we figure out what her major is going to be before she gets there? And I think all of the things that we're saying here are not really, that you kind of need to go and you need to take those classes. You can read about a description of a major, but the actuality of it is often going to be a very different experience for a student. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So that's important and I stuff. Think one thing that families don't always think about, too, is that the point of a major is not really the content. If you're a history major, I don't think there's that many points in your future where someone's going to ask you about the battles of the War of 1812. But if you're a history major and you learn how to analyze conflicting first-person sources and you hear this story and that story and this story and you can piece together a narrative that makes sense and you can draw conclusions and predict what's going to happen next, that's a much more practical skill that will happen in tons of different jobs. And so I encourage my kids to think about a major not as what topic do you want to study, but what way of solving problems is true for the way that you think about the world, Mm -hmm. what sort of skills you already have and bring to the table, and how can you find an academic discipline that's going to complement that and turn that into a set of tools that you can use moving forward, whatever your job might become. Right. What skills do you want to develop further, and how do you want to bring all the things you already have to bear? I think that's Great advice and a great way to think about it. When we think about choice of major in relation to admissions, 
know, I have some specific thoughts on how much or how not it, it impacts admissions, but I'd love to get your thoughts on the choice of major impacting admissions. Well, I think it depends first and foremost on the school, uh, and that's true with a lot of admissions-based questions, depends yep. on the school. <laughs> uh, I'm calling you from California, and here in California, the California State University System, the CSUs, San Jose State, San Diego State, they admit by major, and so it very much matters what major you put on your application, because that's mm-hmm. the home that you're going to have, and that's the pool that you're going to be competing against for admission, so putting psych versus econ versus math makes a big difference. But in contrast, at the the University of California system, so Berkeley and UCLA, they admit by undergraduate college. You're applying to the College of Arts and Sciences or to the College of Engineering. And in that case, the major itself is much less relevant. You've got to know what home you want to have, but if you're in the College of Arts and Sciences, you could be a chem major, you could be a psychology major, you could be a philosophy major, And the choice of major that you indicate on your application is really just a a clue to the admissions officers, here's what I care about. Here's what I'm curious about. I think this is something fun and interesting. It's not a binding contract that's going to set you into something or have that much of an impact on whether or not you're admitted. Right. And I think, you know, for me, one of the things that I always, um, I think about, and and to your point, it does depend on different colleges, but for a lot of colleges, you are not necessarily declaring your major when you select your major on the application. All you're really doing is saying, this is what I think I'm going to major in. And you are giving the admissions officers a little bit of insight into what's going on in your head. And you're also going to bring their attention to the areas Mm -hmm. most related to your major, right? So if you select biology, they're going to go and look just a little bit more closely at your science grades. And if, for example, you've only taken biology, you only took it as a freshman and you never pursued an advanced level course and so you literally haven't had it for three years, that might make them wonder about how a how much sense biology really makes for you, given that it's been a long time since you took it, how interested you are in it if you really only took the one class. And then they're also going to be scrutinizing your performance in science-based <coughs> classes because that's going to tell them something about your ability to succeed in that class. So there are pluses and minuses to selecting a major, and of course you have to be careful depending on the school you're applying to. But um, if you're going to throw extra scrutiny in the direction of a per- certain part of your transcript, make sure that's a strong part of your transcript, I think would be exactly. one of my big pieces of advice. And I've talked with families who are trying to, I think they're trying to scheme around this and figure out what's the easiest major to get into. And so you'll have a kid who is volunteering at the hospital, doing some science research, really, really thriving in chemistry class. And then they check film studies as their intended major because they've heard it yep. easier. That's just so confusing to the admissions yes, staff. Exactly. You're much more competitive as a bio major because I know that that's what you want to be. Yeah, and I and we actually we've talked about this in a couple of other segments on the show that are in the archives, by the way, to, for our listeners uh, about presenting an authentic self, and this is one of the ways in which students can really mess up that authentic picture of themselves by selecting a major that's truly not an area of interest, uh, or and or seemingly flies in the face of what they're truly interested in, and it creates a disconnect, and that's that's never a good idea. Um, what do you, do you think if you're really undecided, in your opinion, do you think there are safer or better majors to default towards? Um, I generally encourage students to default to undecided, but, 
you know, that's some people are uncomfortable with that. And I'm curious what you think. I think it's the application phase, kind of like we said. I don't think you need to push yourself to pick something there because at most schools, you're going to have time to explore and figure it out. I think if you are a junior and you still are completely torn between a bunch of different things, then I think you pick the thing that you're best at, the thing that you enjoy the most because chances are that's going to be the subject area where you're going to get strong grades and you're going to make connections with your professors and where you're going to stand out. And if you are truly undecided or you're not really, you know, you're the same everywhere and you don't think that the academics are going to be the way you stand out, then I would say pick a major that's fun for you, that you enjoy, and that allows you to um, schedule your time around whatever else it is where you can stand out. You know, whether it's your internship or your job or your activities, if you think that you know, the thing that you're going to have to show for your college experience are skills that you've learned beyond the classroom, I, sometimes I think that's okay and your major should support that. Right. And just to be clear, when you say if you're a junior, you mean a junior in college. So we're talking. Yeah, sorry. No, that's okay. As an applicant, when you're still in high school, I think our point here is you don't have to be sure and you can mark undecided. Uh, If you do want to study something like engineering, I do usually encourage students to apply because often that's an engineering school at a lot of schools. So you want to apply into that school, but usually they'll give you an option to be undecided if you aren't sure which area of engineering you want to be in. And then if you start in engineering and realize it's not for you, you can usually transfer out and into another school at the college, but it's often very difficult to transfer into engineering. So that's just something. Um, and that can be the case with some other more specialized um, majors that sometimes it's better to start there and transfer out than to try to transfer in later on. And at some schools, you actually can't transfer in. So something else to be thinking about. Um, we, we talked a little bit about this earlier, but I'd love to talk a little more about it because you just brought it up and I think it's a good point. Well, you were saying that you oftentimes, you've done a lot of research actually to create this programming that we do and found that it really matters less what you major in and more what your experience has been. And so what, what kinds of things are important to keep in mind that students should be doing in college in addition to picking a major? What other kinds of things are going to make them marketable on the end? at the end? So there is actually a lot of interesting data about this, to your point, Beth, and you know, surveys of hiring managers and upper-level um, you know, CEOs and others suggest that when they're looking for those entry-level employees coming out of college, they really want to know what you can do, what your experiences are. So when they're looking at these resumes, the first thing they look to are the jobs, the research, the internships, the the work things that you have done, and then they look at all these other factors and majors in there, but so is your grades and your extracurricular activities on campus, because again, they just want to know what you're capable of. Um, So I think this is really great for kids who either can't decide on their major or when they're thinking about their life in college, the major is really only one small part of it, because Employers want to see what else you care about. And if you are the treasurer of your fraternity and you're balancing a $30,000 budget every year, that's really practical experience that probably carries more weight than intro to finance classes. Right. Um, a really good friend of mine from college is he was always crazy about sports from, you know, day one onwards. He was a math major in college, focusing on statistics, I think because, again, of how that overlaps with sports, but... His job on college was to be the voice of Knights Athletics. He was the radio broadcaster for all the home 
soccer games, the home basketball games, home baseball games. And so coming out of college, he got a job at a local radio station in Butte, Montana, where he was the sports <laughs> reporter. And he eventually was covering a couple um, local college games for the, you know, the ESPN local affiliate. And now he is living in Portland, Oregon, and he's the radio announcer for the Portland Timbers, which is the major league soccer team there. And when I think of his life in college, she was a math major, but his life was his job. He loved his job and he was good at it. And I'm sure right. that that's what helped him on his track more than the staff major that he pursued. Exactly. And so what he did, a lot of the experiences he got in college were outside of the classroom, but no less important. And and that's a really great example of um, of how one can serve the other, but at the end of the day, his major is almost irrelevant to what he does for a living. Um, but his college degree serves him well now. Um, <laughs> we... We don't have much time left, but I do want to hit on another big question I know we get a lot, and that is, you know, we certainly work with a lot of students who want to go on to medical school or law school or business school, and there are a lot of preconceptions about what you need to study in order to go on to the to those graduate-level um, de- degree tracks. Um, mm-hmm. In your opinion, are there better majors to choose if you want those things than, than others? Or, um, you know, what I mean, are your thoughts on is, that? This is one of the, this is, like you said, one of the most commonly asked questions. And I think where many students are doing themselves a disservice. I think there's an assumption that biology is the best major for med school when mm-hmm. that's just not the case. It is certainly a common major, but that reflects student interest more than med school expectations. Um, so if you look at, the requirements for any med school, they do want intro science classes, intro physics, intro chem, intro bio, but they also want psychology and sociology, and usually they want a second language as well. And when they look at competitive candidates for training future doctors, they don't just need scientists. They want people who have patient care experience, who have been um, impacted by the healthcare system or have really connected with people who are impacted by the healthcare system. So they're looking, again, at your internships, your jobs, your research, uh, beyond just being a science major. So when I think of you know, my own friends who went through the medical school admissions process, I definitely do have some chem and bio major friends who, you know, straight from high school, knew that's what they wanted. But I also have a lot of friends who majored in history or Spanish or um, literature or gender studies whose pathway to healthcare was more people-focused or more practical hands-on, and they still got to med school, and they're still great doctors now. Um, And in many cases, those kids can stand out even more in the admissions pool for med school because there's fewer of them. So again, as long as your grades are strong, your story has to be authentic, your pathway to medicine has to make sense, and it can be easier to stand out if you don't look the same as everybody else. Right. And that's similar to undergraduate admissions, but holds true for graduate admissions. And I think medical school is a great example, but we could say the same thing about law school, Mm -hmm. about business school. So, Mm -hmm. Becky, this was super helpful. Thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Um, Thanks for having me, Beth. Absolutely. After the break, Kathy Ruby is going to be here and we're going to talk about budgets and your teenager. So don't go away. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. 
If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says, yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Follow us on Twitter at Voice America TRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everybody. For our next segment on teaching your teenager how to budget, or if you are a teenager listening in, learning how to budget, I'm really excited to welcome former Dean of Financial Aid at St. Olaf's College and current college coach educator Kathy Ruby to the show. Hi, Kathy. Hi, Beth. Well, welcome back. Thanks for, for joining us again. We're talking about budgets and teenagers. And I think my first question for you today is, why is this something that teenagers need to learn how to do? Well, okay, I'm a parent, so I'm a little bit biased, and I'm a parent of a college graduate and a college student. So um, I just think it's very important for teenagers to learn this before they head off to college, Um, because certainly, hopefully, when they get to college, parents are going to be expecting them to budget, you know, they're going to budget the money that they have for their books and their personal expenses, and so those are skills that are going to have to be acquired. And of course, you know, they want to learn how to budget before they become independent. And I will say, as the parent of a college student, thinking about it while you're in college or talking about it as a parent with my child when she's in college is kind of hard to do because in college you're busy. So Mm -hmm. trying to establish habits and learn the skills before you head off into the world is, is, I think, a good thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, they're also farther away, right? When they're in college, yep, yeah. they're not and in the house every day. Right. You can't be having those conversations daily or weekly or whatever it is. It's it's much harder. Kids are busy absolutely. in college and they don't want to talk about budgets when they call their parents. That's exactly. for sure. Exactly. Of course they don't. Whereas when you have them around the dining room table, you kind of have a captive audience. So <laughs> Exactly. Better to do that then. What do you think teenagers need to understand before they can budget? Well, so the first thing, I mean, the thing that I talk about when I talk about budgets with teenagers is how it doesn't have to be an evil word. You know, it doesn't have to be a negative word. Having a budget is really about setting priorities. It's about everything else, like like what we do in the rest of our lives, right, with time, Um, And so it's about setting priorities and spending money on things that are important to you and not frittering it away 
on things that aren't really that important to you. So budgeting is sort of about, you know, gathering the information you need to make those decisions and and to set your priorities correctly in a way that you want to. Um, So the first thing teenagers need to understand, of course, is what their income is, right? Mm-hmm. whether they have an allowance or whether they've got a part-time job, but they've got to sit down and actually figure out how much money they have coming in each month or each week or whatever it might be. Um, and then the next step is to really figure out how they're spending their money. And this is something I think this is well suited to teenagers as they get more and more independent mm-hmm. um, for them to really keep track of where their money's going. I know that there when might my be son... Some... Yep, mm-hmm. sorry. Oh, Go ahead. No, no, no. What about your son? You were going to tell a story. I love well, those. Well, yeah. I mean, as, as teenagers get more and more independent, you know, they're driving, they're, uh, they're going to movies, they're going to sports practices, they're pretty much taking care of themselves during the day and into the evening, right? And mm-hmm. they theoretically have some money to manage. So keeping track of where their money's going. I used to talk to my son about he would stop at a convenience store every day after football practice and buy a Gatorade when, in fact there was a refrigerator full of Gatorades at his home, right? And so to get him to sit down and figure out how that added up, and that really was about $10 a week that he was spending on, you know, snacks at the convenience store versus coming home and eating the free food and snacks that were there. Right, I was going to say that I think most teenagers will be surprised at how much money they are wasting at Starbucks and Dunkin' Donuts. Right. And well, I think all of us are, right? <laughs> yeah, oh, definitely. I, you know, I really shouldn't point the finger at teenagers because I'm guilty of it. I often feel like I can't leave the house every day without spending twenty dollars before I get home on nothing, having nothing to show for it at the end of the exactly. day either. Yep. So. Um. So the other thing that they can be thinking about, and this is, these, this is in conversation with parents, and this is where parents need to, need to really be thinking about how they want to talk about this with their teenager, but um, they need to understand what are their needs and what are their wants, right? So for all of us who budget, we have to figure out what are the things we absolutely have to buy, and then what are the things we just want to buy. And so this is a place where, for teenagers, it's really important that parents actually relinquish some control. Because certainly you're going to make sure your kids are fed and clothed, well, reasonably clothed, and Uh have a place to sleep. But I think giving up some control um, and and letting your teen make some decisions, because I think there's a good argument for none of us really learn how to budget until there are actual consequences. Mm -hmm. Um, So think about letting your teen manage their own entertainment budget or um, maybe buying a certain portion of their clothing or all of their clothing for that matter, giving them a set amount and then letting them budget how they buy their clothing. Um, another idea I've heard floated and I, I wish I'd done this was, you know, in today's world, student or school lunch accounts are electronic and mm-hmm. usually the way they work, right, is that parents put money in the account and then teenagers spend it as they see fit. <laughs> yes. Um, So think about giving control of that to your teenager so that you say, okay, I'm going to give you enough so that you could buy the standard lunch every day. Now, you can either choose to do that or you can bring a lunch or you can spend it all in the first two days on the a la carte menu, right? Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, I'm not sure if it's still the case, but high schools usually have choice, right? So let them manage something like that so that they understand what happens when they run out. Right. And, and I would say, you, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, my parents did something similar. Basically, they said, we'll give you an allowance and you can use that to buy your lunch at school or you can pocket it. We'll buy you the stuff to make your lunch at home and yep. you can make and bring your lunch every day. And exactly. sometimes I brought my lunch and sometimes I didn't. But it, when I bought it at school, it, it hit my pocket. When I brought it from home, it didn't. So that was pretty powerful for me. Right, and that's a win-win for, right. for everyone because then it's predictable for parents they know exactly what they're going to be spending and you don't get this huge bill, huge bill from the lunch account. But, you know, one of the important pieces here is you do have to be strong. Um, yeah. and, and I think we all struggle with this. I mean, we want our kids to have what they need and what they want when they, when they need and want it. Um, but one of my colleagues talks about her kids coming and asking her for an advance on their allowance because they were out of, you know, they wanted to go to a movie and they were, they'd already spent all their allowance. And she would just say to them, I'm sorry, I can't. I don't get to go to my boss and ask for an advance on my paycheck when I spent it all before the first of the month. Right. So I can't, I can't give you an advance. Um, certainly you don't want your kids to starve. So this is why you have to think through what you're giving them responsibility for. But they've got to learn that when you run out, you run out. Right. And I, you know, I sort of feel like they go without lunch once, they will never make that mistake again. I hate to think of them going without lunch, but I'm pretty sure it eventually sinks in. Um, and it doesn't take that long if there are true consequences, right? Right. Exactly. Other than or mom and dad go to that angry. movie or whatever it was. Exactly. Exactly. And then what about, I think something else that we've talked about is also setting goals. And that's an important part of the budgeting process. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I know that parents often want to provide for their kids, but it's it's good for student for kids to take responsibility for some of their expenses. So think through the kinds of goals they might have. Maybe it's a, a school trip, you know, a lot of summer trips to foreign countries. Um, maybe it's during college, saving for a study abroad program. Um, so help them learn how to save toward those longer term goals and think about matching what they save. Um, in today's world, there's not much interest being paid on traditional savings accounts, but you can sort of demonstrate the bang of the, give them a little more bang for their buck by maybe matching what they save um, to help them see the power of saving. But uh, talk through what those goals might be and what's reasonable. I love that idea. I think I might employ that actually in my own home where actually I have an 11 year old. And um, another thing that I was curious about is, you know, we have bank accounts. Um, I'm able to get him a junior bank account, which is tied to my own. And I actually did that. And he has a debit card. Um, Ooh. What do you think about that? I'm a little nervous to hear the answer because it's something we're already doing. And I, I like it, but I'm curious what you think about it. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, an 11-year-old might be a little young, but on the other hand, it's not like he's out and about on his own. Exactly. You know, getting cash at the ATM. Right. Um, so you, you, you can control it pretty well, I think. Is, and so it's a good thing for him to learn, start to learn how it works. Um, certainly teenagers, it's appropriate for teenagers to have debit cards. But um, along with that, there needs to be conversation about security, you know, not sharing your PIN with anybody. Um, when you go to take money out of the ATM, making sure that you don't leave your account open and that you've mm -hmm. completed the transaction before you walk away, all those kinds of things that we take for granted that kids may not, may not think about. Um, but then if, if your teenager is going to have a debit card, they need to take responsibility for balancing the account 
and monitoring the account. And and this is where the danger is when your account is tied to their account because yeah. um, it's too easy to just swoop in and make a transfer and save the day when something's about to... <laughs> Something's about to bounce. But, you know, what I've learned, um, you know, we all learned to balance our checkbooks because we wrote checks. And today we know not many of us write checks anymore. Although, I mean, my daughter's a college student and she does write checks for rent. She writes checks, you know, she's a music major, so she writes checks to her accompanist. So um, while she doesn't necessarily have to balance her account in the same way we did, um, there has to be a system or they have to learn about recurring withdrawals, you mm-hmm. know, for that Hulu subscription or whatever it might be. Um, and then they have to be able to anticipate what's outstanding and what's really in the account. So you've got to teach them how to, how to balance in today's world and right. check the accuracy of things too, because things still, banks still can make mistakes. So um, it is still worth balancing and, and checking the accuracy of what's in your account. Right. I mean, one of the things I've been thinking about is there we have a Microsoft Live account or not a, not an Xbox Live, sorry, not Microsoft mm-hmm. Live. And that comes due every month um, is making that part of his account. Right. Um, I'd still pay for it, but it would be something he'd have to keep in mind that, oh, it looks like you have $50, but don't forget in next right. week that that Xbox Live payment is going to come out. So you really only actually have 40 or $38 and you need to, to keep that in mind. That's great advice. All right, we're well, going to look think, into that. I think, too, we have to think through, I mean, as we know things today, kids and people have different learning styles. So everyone's going to learn these skills in different ways. So for my daughter, she needed to have sort of a monthly calendar up on the wall and then she needed to be able to write in, okay, this is the date that Hulu comes out. This is the date that my rent check gets sent. This is the day I have to pay my power bill. So she needed to be able to see it that way and I'm not that way. I mean, I had to learn a lot about how to explain this in a way that she would get. So you got to be sensitive to those things too and let them figure out whatever tracking mechanism works for them. Right. Anything else? We have about another minute, and I'm wondering if there are any other suggestions that you wanted to share that I didn't ask you about and that you wanted to share now. Well, certainly just think creatively as you're um, thinking of ways to talk about money with your teens and think about ways for them to take responsibility. Um, One of the suggestions I've heard is when it comes time to go on those college visits, give your teen a budget and let them figure out what the transportation costs are going to be and where you're going to eat out and what hotel you're going to stay in. Um, It it accomplishes two things. It lets them see how expensive it is to travel around and go visit those colleges. Yes. Um, But it also teaches them about how to, how to shop and make trade-offs and stay within a budget. Um, You can do that with any number of things, your monthly entertainment budget or um, a vacation or anything you might have, but be creative and just find ways to converse with kids about how to acquire these skills. That's really great advice. I love it. And I think I've come away with probably three things that I'm going to implement myself uh, tonight, possibly, although it just depends what my son <laughs> has <Jack>. going on. <laughs> my, I know, my poor child. But we do. We have a vacation week that we're taking off, and we're not really sure what we're going to be doing. And I'm thinking it'd be a great idea to have a budget and then say to him, mm-hmm. this is how much we have to spend. What do you want to do? I love that yep. idea. So, That's, And then uh, you, you may be surprised at what he decides. 
It's, that's right. It would be interesting. So thank you so much, Kathy. I really appreciate you joining us today. And to our listeners, don't go away. Kira Tyler is going to be on after the break. And we're going to continue our conversation about what students should be focusing on during each year of high school. And junior year is up today. So you'll want to hear about this. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. As I mentioned before the break, this next segment is the third we're doing in a series about what students need to be thinking about each year of high school. And uh, a special shout out to the freshman student who emailed us and asked the question of what should I be doing this year, which really is what prompted us to... um, put this series together. And so if you have questions or ideas for the show, please email them into us or even just give us a call. We would love that. So up today is the junior year. And back to talk about this important year with us is former Brandeis admissions officer and college coach, current college coach educator, Kira Tyler. Hi, Kira. Hey, Beth. How are you? I'm good, thanks. It feels like um, we just hung up the phone talking about (laughs) sophomore year and we're already back talking about junior year. Um, I know, it's exciting. It is exciting. And and really, I think, to kick this particular segment off, I have the question that I get on a fairly regular basis, and that is, you know, how important is junior year really? Um, a lot of people come to me saying, and kind of in all caps, I hear it's the most important year ever. And I'm curious what you think about that. Yeah. It's, I mean, I know people make a lot of assumptions about the junior year, and it's important, absolutely, um, as is ninth grade, 10th grade, and 12th yep. grade. Um, so I think one of the reasons why people place so much importance on the 11th grade is because it's the last full set of grades and courses that the admissions um, committee will see prior to evaluating the application, right? So 
Um, I think that's the main reason people place so much importance on it. But, um, you know, it is important, but I think what's also equally important to keep in mind is that, you know, it's not a spectacular 11th grade is not really going to reverse, let's say, a poor 9th and or 10th grade. Mm -hmm. Um, So it can certainly help buffer it. Um, But it's not like, it's not like a magic eraser kind of situation. So important, but I think people overplay it a little bit. Yeah, I agree. I, I, you know, I almost want to say, no, it's not the most important year ever. It's just another year. Um, I also think the thing that, that tends to get people in a heightened state of, agita about this year is that often it represents the most challenging coursework that anyone's ever taken. Um, And so they're feeling the extra stress of having maybe in some cases as many as two or three APs, whereas prior to that they may have done none. Um, And so they're feeling really um, themselves really intensely worried Mm -hmm. about the year. And then they kind of give it more importance from an admissions perspective. But right. From your words to God's ears, this is not the most important year. It is just one in a string of important years that starts in ninth grade. Absolutely. Uh, So let's talk about coursework and what to be thinking about when you think about the courses you're going to be taking in junior year. Mm -hmm. So, you know, as I think about an 11th grade student, um, one of the big things that comes to mind is, you know, this is when I see students start to say, I'm not going to take my world language, i.e. Mm-hmm. foreign language, Spanish, French, whatever it may be, um, because, you know, they may say, well, my graduation requirement is only two years, so, you know, I'm going to I'm gonna drop it in lieu of another elective. Mm-hmm. And so I think the main thing I would like to make sure people are clear on is that uh, the core classes should still be happening in the junior year, every last one of them. Obviously, English, history, math, science, and a world language. Yep, absolutely. Um, yep. Sorry. Yeah, and the second piece, no, that's okay, Beth. And the second piece is that, you know, as you alluded to, I think one of the reasons why people believe it's the most important is because in a lot of ways, this is when they get the most access to um, their first pick of, of EP courses. And so along that train, you know, I would love to see a student be able to um, have a lot of rigor on their course schedule. Um fully recognizing that everybody has the opportunity to take APs, not everybody has the opportunity to take an IB or even an honors, but whatever the, the most challenging course is within your own school environment that you can manage successfully, that's what I want to see you doing. Right. And I think what I would add here is that absolutely supporting this idea that you want to stick with those five core areas. And you may be a student who's doing those areas at the college prep level, and that's appropriate for you. But what's yeah. going to make you more more attractive to the colleges that are fine with the, and lots of colleges are totally fine with just, you're going to yes, do college are. prep. Awesome. What those yep. colleges will love to see is that you've gone above and beyond by doing more than what your high school requires in terms of, yes, you could have gotten away with just doing two years of world language and then you could have graduated no problem, but you opted for three or even four years of the world language. And they're going to love that because college is about right. going above and beyond. So yes. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, that's an opportunity 
to um, show, okay, I am sticking it out, I'm pushing myself, it's an opportunity to stand out within the pool. It's also on the flip side a way to possibly get more options if you are mm-hmm. increasing the rigor of your of your curriculum. That may mean you open up the door to be more competitive at more schools. The other side of this, the seed side of this, and Kathy certainly would appreciate this as your previous guest, is that it may allow you the opportunity to have more access to, to scholarships. Mm-hmm. You know, if you push yourself, if you show that you're, you know, willing to go above and beyond academically, then yeah, you become a more attractive active candidate, and that can go beyond just, you know, admitting or denying the student. Absolutely. And for those students on the bubble, I I can think of a few times in my past Mm -hmm. where I've worked with students who um, were really on the bubble at some institutions, and the fact that they pushed themselves to maybe do a little bit more, and therefore up against students who hadn't done a little bit more, maybe their grades weren't stellar, but that fact that they were doing more, I really do feel made the difference between them getting in or not getting in. Um, I would agree. You know, so, all right. So that coursework is a big one. Another big thing that starts to really come into play in this junior year in a way that it hasn't previously is standardized testing. So let's talk about what you like to see juniors doing uh, in the junior year related to that. Sure. So I feel very strongly, like, Passionately about the idea, about the idea that standardized testing is meant to be a second half of junior year pursuit period. Yes, um, mm-hmm. I think that it's a real missed opportunity for students when they don't plan to take, you know, a standardized test. It could be one or both. Um, you know, at least once, if not even my favorite would be two times prior to the end of junior year. Um, I think what it does is it allows the students to wrap up junior year with a lot of the knowledge they need to figure out where they are competitive to apply. Um, and so for that, I think it makes a lot of sense. The other side of this is that I really don't want my students having to, to ramp up for senior year, um, you know, think about putting together college applications, write their essays, and continue to study for exams, um, you know, during their, their the spring, the, I'm sorry, the fall of their senior year. That's a lot. We really want the focus and the emphasis to be on what's a great list for my students and how can I craft, help craft a great application as well. Um, so that's my best case scenario, and I feel really strongly about that. What I do say to my students is that, listen, if you can't get it done, you know, those two times or you have done it two times and you're looking for one more time because you believe you can do better, because you've put a lot of preparation and time into um, improving your scores, then let's use one test in the fall of senior year as sort of the last effort. Right. And I agree with all of that. And if possible, I might even feel more passionately about it than you do, although it sounds like you're pretty (laughs) passionate. So let's just say we feel equally passionate. Uh, (laughs) There's so much uncertainty if you don't get it done by then. Um, And it's very challenging over the course of the summer to say, well, if I take the test one more time and I improve my scores, then I might apply to these schools. But if I don't, then I guess I'm going to apply to these. But and then there's a lot of wish thinking that can be associated with that versus this is what I did. I put in a lot of effort. I took the test. These are my scores. Let's roll forward with these scores. And it's not a lot about 
what might be, but it is about what is. And there is going to be very little that's more helpful to you in this process than focusing on the what is versus what possibly could be someday if I do something that I may ultimately not even do. Um, No, you're absolutely right. And I think, um, you know, sometimes I find myself like, well, you you know, they'll just take it again. If if the student has said they would take it again, I'm like, sure, they'll take it again. But it's, you know, I think sometimes I or the parent, we are a little flip about it. Um, But we shouldn't be because, like you said, it does put the student in a little bit of a limbo. And, um, you know, I want them to feel confident about their choices. I want them to make peace with their scores because that allows them to be able to move on to the next phase, which is let's figure out where you're going to go. Like, let's move on, you know, and and let's wrap this piece up and and get on to the next uh, segment. So, you know, I, I can't, I agree with you 110%. Okay, so very quickly, one last thing, because then I want to move on, because we have three more things we want to try and cover, and that is that if you're going to get your standardized testing done by the end of your junior year, you need to think ahead and plan, because you're going to want to do some test prep. Everybody does it. If you don't do it, you're at a bit of a disadvantage, so you got to be thinking about that probably from the beginning of your school year as a junior, but... Let's move on to extracurricular activities. Um, in, in many cases, this is going to be the last opportunity you have, uh, the last year before those big leadership roles open up. So what kinds of things are you thinking about when it comes to extracurriculars and junior year? Sure. So I'm hoping that for my students who are, you know, in the leadership business and see themselves in that role and want to take on that responsibility, that they will utilize this year to really seize that opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, leadership comes in a lot of different ways. So if it happens to be a named position, an elected office, that's great. Um, you know, if it's you starting your own club organization as an extracurricular, that's fantastic. If it's you, instead of doing the extracurricular route, your extracurricular is a job, fantastic. Um, the other side of this is that if you are someone for whom leadership is not a comfortable place to be, you don't see yourself in that role, you don't want to be in that role, or maybe the opportunity isn't there like you'd like it to be, be a doer. You know, increase your engagement. Uh, take on leading a segment of the group as opposed to having a named leadership role. Um, so just continue to be involved and see if there's a way to increase that involvement, um, even if you don't have the title. Okay. Perfect, and I and really good advice because not everybody is a leader, but you right. can be world needs doers as well. What about the That's summertime? Right. That that stretch between junior and senior year tends to be pretty important. And um, you know, what kinds of things do you advise when you're junior thinking about what your summer is going to look like? Mm-hmm. So you know, I talk about summer as early as like Thanksgiving with my yep. juniors. You know, it, it's like. Okay, great. So, you know, you did some visits. That's terrific. Your classes are doing well. You're, you know, you've planned for some test preparation. We have a testing calendar. Terrific. What are you doing this summer? And they're always like, I don't know, Kira. Like, it's early. And I'm like, nope, it's too early. (laughs) Um, And, uh, you know, I feel for them because in their world, it it is early. But, you know, to me, I want to have some sense of how they're going to be spending their time. Again, it's not all about keeping them busy. We want to build them rest, relaxation, you know, all of that good stuff. But we also want the kids to be constructively busy. So is it going to be getting a job? If you're into research, is it going to be, you know, pursuing some sort of a position in a lab? Would you yep. like to try to use your network to get an internship? Um, are you going to be doing a summer of volunteering? 
would you like to do an abroad program? These are all, are you going to be a caregiver for, you know, a family member? Whatever it is, let's start talking about it so that we can come up with something around the first of the year, which would leave you enough time if you need to apply for something, fundraise for something, you know, that we, we have that. Right. And having a plan A and a plan B and possibly That's a plan right. C or even Definitely. D. Yes, <laughs> also sure. important. Yeah, All right. because some of these things, you know, rely on other things happening, you know, and so yep. if you don't get the summer program you wanted for six weeks and you get one for two instead, what are you going to do those four other weeks? Exactly. So, yeah, plans A, C, D are key. Yes, totally agree. And then we have about two minutes. So the last piece of this and something that really does start in earnest is college, Um, thinking about college and your college process. And um, ideally, you've been thinking about it all along, but here's where you start to have some really concrete things that you can be doing. So what kinds of things do you like to see students do related to the college process in the junior year? Right. Yes. So if spring break has happened, and, like, nothing has been talked about as it relates to college, we are behind. So I want students to, you know, an ideal time for visits would be spring break um, or any sort of couple of days that you can garner in spring to take a couple of visits to schools. If you aren't able to do visits, and that's okay, let's do some virtual visits online. You can do some through YouTube that are terrific. Go to any school that you're interested in. They will almost always have a virtual tour. There are other places, but for the sake of time, do some online visits. That's a great opportunity to see campuses. Mm -hmm. The other thing is that if there's some schools that you know you're interested in and you can't make it or you'd like to show additional interest, get on the school's mailing list. And they will let you know if they come to your area in the spring um, to do information sessions and a lot of times schools do these together. So you can go ahead and see three to five schools together, which is a nice use of time. Yep. Um, and for my real starters, you know, there are those, um, this is my favorite tactic, but who will write their first draft of their essay uh, junior year in the spring in their English class. And I appreciate it because they're doing it. Um, but by the time the end of school rolls around and we're into summer, that's really when I want students to hit the road as it relates to are there visits still to be done? We need to start brainstorming an essay. You need to check out your transcript to make sure that it's right and appropriate. Um, and it's that it's all of those college-related things where it's the time to start. And, of course, August 1st is like, you know, kickoff excitement day for the Common App. So there's that. There we go. Perfect. Kira, thank you so much. Uh, you're going to be back next week. We're going to be talking about senior year. And um, I'm looking forward to it. I did want to remind everybody, if you're interested in hearing about what students should be doing in ninth and 10th grade, check out our archives. Kira and I have talked about this the past two weeks. Um, It's all there along with lots of other great segments on things like college visits, the new SAT, saving for college, paying for college. Uh, You can listen to them on the Voice America website at any time or download them for free on iTunes. Um, On next week's show, we're going to wrap up, as I mentioned, our four-part segment on the high school years. And there's there's a lot going on in 12th grade, and Kira's going to talk to us about all of it. 
We're also going to take a look at the financial implications of early decision and digging into what applying under this binding program can mean for financial aid and scholarships. Um, And finally, we're going to cover the impact of learning differences on the college process and offer tips on how to manage those challenges. Um, So don't forget, we're here every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. Uh, We love it when you call in. And so, hey, maybe if you have some questions for Kira and me, you'll call in next week and we'll answer them live on air. Uh, Thanks very much, everybody, and have a great day. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week. Thank you.